Hello and welcome to this interview. My name is Beth Martins. This is the King Heroes Journey podcast, and I have the great pleasure of being here with Miguel Connor today. Before I introduce you to him and let him tell us about himself, I'm going to just let you know you're in the right place if you're interested in seeing how strong men can get stronger. This podcast is full of interviews of men who are out there in leadership positions, who are taking it on themselves to speak the truth, usually an unpopular truth, and to show others how to persevere in this world that is definitely beating men down. So Miguel, welcome to this podcast. He is the host of the Ion Bite podcast himself. That's really an amazing uh, production that you put together. And uh, I just am thrilled to have you here. Could you take a few minutes to let us know a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Thanks for having me on, Beth. Uh, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I am the host of AM Bytenostic Radio. It was sort of a, a call many moons ago to uh, dispense or promote the Gnostic worldview, that worldview that's been vilified for so many centuries, but I feel is very relevant today. Even if you don't see it as a spirituality, I think it is an aesthetic. The Gnostic worldview works very well, how we're in the Philip K. Dick world, how we need to be red-pilled, how we're living under the, the dark, shadowy forces of beings that don't have our best interests. And that sort of uh, became a fascination about 13 years. And uh, it's been, a, I think, by and by, a large success. Uh, on the side, I am like to say a professional storyteller. I write, I tell stories, novels, nonfiction books, uh, marketing gigs, you name it. I like to create stories because as I say in my show, we must create better than the creator gods and their butt slaves in the establishment and pardon that, but uh, <laughs> and by the creator gods are those who have created uh, these false realities and systems around us that really keep us from finding our authentic self. So I'm proud of what I've done, and uh, not probably the most proud thing I've done is just uh, raise five children. I think that's the greatest thing, and talk about creation and trying to create something better, better than yourself, and uh, something that will bring out a, a better world. So that's it in a nutshell. Nothing exciting, but as Joseph Campbell said, uh, uh, follow your bliss, and doors will open, and that's what I did. And, and the funny thing is. The doors that open, I thought, were the doors I thought should be open, uh, but different doors open. You have to have a good uh, uh, gaze to see what's coming down the future and what you, what you, your higher self is really urging you to go to. <clears throat> so beautiful. What was the turning point for you, Miguel, where you went from not doing that to, to doing that? What was th those uh, inciting events that took place in your life? Uh, I can't say there was a road to Damascus. I think it's a more uh, slow burn of pain and solitude and loneliness. Uh, like mm -hmm. many seekers, I was one of those kids who just didn't seem to belong. I was very restless, very imaginative. Uh, always got in trouble in school, which seems to be uh, a great uh, prison. Oh, let me shut this down. Speaking of intrusion from archons, school seems to be a great prison for individuality and passion and all that. So, uh, and like a seeker, I sought uh, different doorways of perception. Some of them were not so good, uh, wrong crowds, drugs, uh, other things that uh, brought uh, even more pain than sort of the existential aching that I've always had. 
but I also uh, sought different religion, different faiths. I read a lot. I uh, practiced a lot of different uh, spiritual and psychological techniques. And it was more like the Gnostic worldview was just a better fit. And it's like it almost called me to represent them in this world, to uh, spread it out to the world, not as the ultimate answer, but just as another choice for people to have. Uh, I think uh, to find your true self, it's a labyrinth. And it's, uh, it can be a hard labyrinth, but I think the more pathways you have, the better chance you have of really striking that gold. And I thought I would provide the Gnostic worldview as an extra path for those who might find benefit, might want to embrace it, or just might want to just uh, reject it outright, but at least they saw what it does, and then they can go find uh, what really works for them. Right. Oh, and uh, can you define Gnosticism as you use it? It's uh, a word that comes up, and I honestly, I can, I can go and... Uh, look it up a hundred times. And I've got a lot of different, you know, pulsing meaning in my head, but how would you say it in a nutshell for people? Uh, yeah, no, I understand. Um, in a nutshell, Gnosticism was, uh, I, I contend it's older than 2000 years ago, but it really got uh, mature going 2000 years ago. And it's a spiritual, perhaps even philosophical belief that we are fragments of the divine mind and that we have been cast down, not in a fake world, but a uh, manufactured world, a, uh, a world that's been on purpose created to trap the divine part of ourselves. And there are those who waken, who hear the call of a, a higher being, and uh, in the Gnostic uh, traditions, it might be Sophia, it might be Jesus, it might be Simon Magus, who sort of uh, awakens and reminds us that we do not belong in this world, that we are fragments of a higher ultimate form of consciousness beyond the stars. And with certain ecstatic shamanistic rituals, as well as philosophical introspection, we can awaken further and take these flights to commune with this ultimate form of consciousness. And um, so that's basically it in a nutshell. Of course, there's other features you might find. Uh, who are the ones who are trapping us? Uh, we could talk about the archons or the God of the Old Testament or whoever was the bad guys, depending on the various Gnostic systems that they were. And of course, there is a leaning on uh, a divine feminine principle like Sophia. There's other features like reincarnation and so forth, which we can or cannot discuss. But like I said, beyond a religious system, I think it really works well as an aesthetic today. I think the Gnostic worldview it's almost being embraced further and further as we get to this post-truth uh, reality that we're in. I mean, people, you can go from one site to the other. You could say that uh, Hugh is Gnostic. You could say that Antifa is Gnostic. You could say that people who say that they're red pill on the internet are Gnostic, but at least they are embracing the Gnostic aesthetic of a false world ruled by uh, these beings or these agencies that don't have our best interests and are ultimately feeding upon us. So, um, and if your, your, your viewers want to know more, if they watch a movie like uh, uh, The Matrix would be the most obvious example, or TV mm -hmm. shows like Westworld would be another good example. Uh, mm -hmm. You can more or less get what the Gnostic worldview is, whether you take it philosophically, religiously, or again, simply as a, an aesthetic to, uh, to deal with your social issues on a daily basis. Okay, right. And the word gnosis itself is knowledge, right? Is Correct. that specific? Yeah. And yeah, is it, it self 
Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, you would say that. It's, it comes from the Greek for knowledge, but it's meant of a, an intuitive type of knowledge. It's uh, like you said, it is a knowledge of yourself because as uh, some of the Gnostics would say, once you know yourself, you will know God because the divine is with you, within you. Uh, Jung always said that the Gnostics knew the soul or the psyche better than anybody because they were so much into um, internal journeys as well. And they saw the mind of the ultimate conscious, the mind of God, as being just really this giant mind with all the features of the mind. And they thought, well, if if we can replicate this mind or explore this mind, then we can have the mind of God, which Paul talks about uh, in uh, one of his letters. So uh, Gnosis, yes, it's a knowledge of oneself, and it's also a knowledge of the nature of reality around you and what to do to expand that knowledge to eventually, again, have this sort of ecstatic alchemical transformation into uh, a new being, an individuated being, as uh, Carl Jung would say. Beautiful. Uh, A tiny bit of an aside off the top here. I just learned that the word diagnosis, it, it contains that gnosis. And it's um, the the agnosis is is actually the like the anti knowledge or not knowing, exactly. and then the die the die part just means that two people don't know. So so first one person doesn't know, and then two people don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it takes two two to make a crowd, I guess, or three to make a crowd of ignorance. Yeah, they would say. I think there's one Gnostic gospel. The Gospel of Philip talks about how uh, the mother or the mother of all sin is actually ignorance. That's when we do the most damage to ourselves, to others, because, like Jesus says on the cross, "Father, forgive them. They do not know what." They do what they do not know. They just don't know. Once we are conscious of ourselves, of our potential, of who we are, that we are divine beings, that we can uh, reach our full potential as humans, because uh, then the sky is the limit. Then we will do no harm because we know that we are in the flow of the universe. I, there's this Buddhist priest. I, say, I thought he said the, the most, uh, the wisest thing I'd ever heard. People are asking, well, what's enlightenment? And he said, oh, that's easy, to be useful. Once you know mm. yourself and you become mm. actualized, you're going to be useful to the world, to yourself, to your family, to your job, to the universe, like animals. If I look at my dog outside, everything it does is useful to its pack, to its nature and everything else. So I think beings who become mm. conscious, who have full self-knowledge, they become useful because that is the greatest form, uh, really, of freedom, of harmony that you can do. I mean, it's all there for us, but unfortunately, we have been programmed, we have been traumatized, and we've lost that simple idea of being enlightened, to be useful to the world and to ourselves. Wow, what an amazing point. To me, uh, one of my discoveries when I was trying to survive cancer and I hit a, a near-death point, literally, I thought I was losing my life and had some, some really big insights at that point. And it was exactly that with respect to purpose that there, I saw that how there was absolutely no purpose that was not connected to exactly what you're talking about, this, this usefulness. This, and I haven't used that word yet, but I, now I'm going to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, purpose, I think, is a good word, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because you, you can't sit in your living room alone and have a purpose. It just it doesn't work. That's, that's the great pain, I think, of creators out there that, you know, maybe can't do what you did and, and get out and find your audience and connect and make the work organic so other people digest and it comes through them in a living way. Otherwise, there's, it, it's just an inanimate kind of uh, 
uh, a fancy, you know, it does, it doesn't connect and it doesn't fulfill in the way that true connection and usefulness does. That's, that's beautiful. And you think about also in traditional cultures, how um, death, the time of death was much more determined by someone's feeling of being useful in society. And mm -hmm. when they weren't anymore, they would go in the forest and end their life or just stop eating or choose, you know, choose to, they just saw, yeah, I don't have a place anymore. And, uh, and there was an honor in that. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we kind of do that today with our senior citizens. We just sort of cast them aside when they should have a more hollowed place in our culture as the bearers of wisdom of Sophia to the Gnostic. But yeah, I think uh, I don't, there was a Gnostic group, the Cathars, the medieval Cathars, who Dan Brown obviously made famous or popularized by his work and so forth. And they had a, a ritual called the Enduria, and that's when somebody, uh, a, a perfect, uh, the, the, the highest order, they divided people into perfects and uh, hearers. And it was very simple. And that's how most Gnostic uh, groups were. The Gnostics were anarchists all throughout history. Mm -hmm. So if you were perfect and you had just hit this great uh, moment of uh, pure spirituality, you knew you can't learn more, you can't do more, they would just sit there literally and just die. You were allowed to give them water but eventually it was time for them to leave. They weren't going to die by violent means because they were complete pacifists. They, they couldn't hurt anybody, even themselves, but this was it. So um, interesting angle. Uh, of course, we always have to be very careful because <clears throat> unfortunately in history, most of uh, what's said about the Gnostic is from their detractors, the church fathers, inquisitors, and so forth. So we still don't know 100%. Yeah, exactly. And that's why... The journey is so much inward that if you, I've been playing this game with myself and it's an ancient game, it's not a new one, you're, you're, you're going to be very familiar with it. And it's just like, who am I? Mm. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And just, you know, you get deeper and deeper into the mystery from that question, right? You think that somehow you're going to really just nail some fact or something and it, all it does is, is open up this much bigger mystery even than you thought it was and i already thought it was big <laughs> yes yes i don't think there is a, there is no end in fact i don't think you're supposed to find out if there's an end you just you continue i mean you know you're close to your authentic self by the the bliss and the the energy and the excitement and how again you are just more and more useful you find more and more meaning in the little things and you can tap into that energy it feels like you're mostly connected so it's uh yeah it's quite a journey and uh it's a dangerous journey. I was reading, I forgot who was it that I was reading, but it's a quote that's been inside my head. Uh, speaking of inside my head for the last 48 hours, it says, uh, the mind is a great servant, but it is the most horrible of masters. <clears throat> and that talk about a Cohen that hit me from ever. It's like, whoa. And that's a great thing because how are you supposed to go against the mind? I mean, how is a, a drug addict supposed to convince himself that he needs to stop? Or how are you going to convince yourself not to be you when you fooled yourself into being you? So it's a, it's a great koan to understand. And of course, I would say uh, the, great, um, the great quest is not so much to know who yourself, but to have a dialogue with your psyche. I think that's what's really helped me out through addiction, alcoholism, death, loss, all that is a, uh, to be able just to talk to my psyche because within us 
there is the, the great unconscious, and that's the world of the archetypes and the symbols. And as we're talking now, what it wants the most is to be useful to ourselves, to, to mm-hmm. continue the flow of the, of the world. We are a man- manifestation of it for some purpose that we don't know. So all the answers are simply understanding, having a dialogue with the psyche and tapping into those energies. And of course, most of us are, we have trauma, we've been, uh, we've been manipulated, we've been fooled into believing things that aren't necessarily so. But part of having a dialogue with the psyche is to bring out the shadow, as a Jungian uh, uh, therapist called it, the shadow is everything I do not wish to be. And there are things that I don't wish to be that are actually positive. I just don't want to face them. Responsibilities, old scores that are old issues that I need to settle, fears, uh, prejudices that I still have, but somehow keep getting projected. But if I have that dialogue with the, sh- with the psyche, the shadow does come out and it becomes integrated and I become useful to the world. And I think it doesn't matter how uh, um, I've been diagnosed with uh, uh, bipolar disorder, and I've gone to so many doctors, and it's not just if, it's how bad is it? And some tell me, well, you shouldn't even be functioning. And I said, well, why? I know my psyche has something useful and has all the answers for me. I know the subconscious has all the powers and energies, and it wants something to reintegrate with me so that I may have meaning, that I may be useful for, again, whatever purpose it has. So I can use these things actually to my benefit and I can uh, align myself to my subconscious and actually have a very good life, be very happy. I just have to, you know, move the furniture different than how my head is. And it works out. I think that's uh, one of the clues. And that's what the Gnostics really taught me, which is go inward, understand yourself, know yourself, and uh, there'll be so many answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, that's you're you're just speaking my language. I, I knew we were going to have an amazing conversation. That uh, you know, the very thing that you think is uh, a problem and an enemy and wrong and needs to be exed out of your life. Uh, that's what almost killed me of cancer. Mm-hmm. Feeling like part of me was so wrong. And how could I have thought otherwise? Because it really was showing up like an enemy. It was blowing up in my life. It made me, you know, it made me sick. There was all these uh, stories I had about it. And once I had the full awareness, all of a sudden that the light was shone on that shadow, I saw it for what it, what it is, I was able to turn it actually immediately, just from the seeing, I was able to turn it, I was able to begin to use the language of the, you know, when you talk about the dialogue, I could, I could speak with it, I could awaken it in that awakened voice, which every single archetype has, as well as its shadow. And I went from being a dying person to being a living person practically mm. overnight from it. Oh. Right. So it, it just made me such a, a believer in this. If you can, precision to me is a big part of it, that if you can identify so precisely what it is that is, you know, the, the blind spot, even for lack of a better way to see it, say it, what you can't see about yourself, then you have the ability to just zero in. You've got the map and the direction Mm-hmm. to reclaim what actually is valuable and uh, and even gold it's not it's not something you need to get rid of you you need to claim that yes well said very inspirational yeah i think you realize the mind has so much power and it's so underrated and by mind uh, yeah, 
call it consciousness, call it the soul, whatever your uh, cultural background wishes to call it. But that you, that energy, that identity can, uh, it has so much power and it is created to adjust, to thrive and to connect with the world. That's what it's there for, that it's always been there for. It, it is a friend, but again, um, like I say, if you make your mind, and you can call this your ego, you can call it the, the, the persona, once you make it your master instead of your servant, it's going to do what uh, it needs to do, which is create problems that it wants to solve, to uh, <clears throat> move forward in life and complete uh, mechanistic exploration. I mean, I think it was a writer, Richard Smoley, who said, uh, the god Hermes is both the god He's the both the, the the god of the mind and the trickster god. And the Greeks, this was not by accident because they knew, again, an unexamined mind. <clears throat> no, I'm the one who's coughing. <clears throat> an unexamined mind is that it'll it'll just go crazy. It will become a trickster god and you will be in a in a hall of mirrors, just not being able to see what's true and what's reality. But there's nothing wrong with your mind. That's its purpose. That it's doing exactly what it should do but you have to master it. And the way to master it is, as we're talking, integrate your shadow and have a very strong dialogue with it. Uh, when you were going through cancer, I don't know what you did. For example, to heal, I had de dream interpretation, meditation, creating artistically like crazy and trying to, under the, the I Ching. I mean, I was just grabbing anything that could bring me into the world of archetypes. I was like, I'm going for you. And it's different for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. We're, we're really uh, the same archetype somewhere, Miguel, because uh, I, I worked around the clock like it was a full-time job mm -hmm. to dig into my archetypes and see. I, I was completely blind to them. That was a shock. I would literally mm -hmm. sit down to work on it, to meditate. Um, I would go unconscious. I would go into a, I, you know, at the time I was calling it a yoga nidra. It's not like I fell asleep, but I went, I just was out, completely gone. And mm -hmm. I would come back like day after day after day, this would happen. And I'm even thinking like, Oh my God, I can't even stay with it while I'm doing this. But my psyche was accessing such deep unconscious. I couldn't even go with it. Mm -hmm. And then after three months of this, all of a sudden the whole picture resolved for me and, and I could see clearly all of these very, it was all, it was already all there. That was the amazing part. And I, I was probably the only one who couldn't see it. Everybody looking at me could see it, right? <laughs> it. I love that game God plays. Yeah, we are, we are emperors wearing no clothes most of our lives. I mean, we don't want to <laughs> see what we don't want to see. We don't want to face our shadow. We don't want to face our shortcomings. Mm -hmm. We don't want to believe, we want to believe that we are free and that we haven't been programmed or conditioned ourselves or just uh, taken the 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 shortcut because uh, human beings, we are, I think, naturally very slothful. If we had a choice, mm -hmm. our bodies would just lay there and let fruit come into our mouths. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's, it, it's very hard. I mean, again, it's like um, going back to the matrix. When Neo sees the, takes the red pill, he doesn't say bliss. He doesn't see bliss. He sees a horrible world because that's when the work starts. Waking up is only half the battle. Now, what are you gonna do about it? You've gotta go on that sort of hero's journey. You gotta go meet out your archetypes. You gotta slay various dragons. You gotta confront, you gotta do a hero's journey. A lot of apologizing and a lot of good works too, because uh, 
there is freedom in helping others. It's a, it's a, it's a strange paradox, but that's what you understand is as humans, we are extremely paradoxical beings. We find freedom through servitude and so forth. And uh, mm -hmm. of course, you know, the Orwellian powers out there use that against us, of course, with the, you know, the double speak, but we have our own inner double speak, but this one actually works. You know, um, what do they say in uh, AA? You, uh, victory comes from surrendering. You know, when you surrender to your disease, that's when you've got the disease by the throat. That's when, aha, uh -huh. so uh, that's when you can get out. Wow, so beautiful. Um you know, for the listeners out there too that possibly have not done deep shadow work, it's. I, I just want to share that, uh, and, and you're already already saying this, Miguel. But the, the the purpose of that shadow is just as sacred as any kind of awakening you could ever have. The shadow is just simply trying to capture your attention, and it needs to do so in a way that's kind of outrageous, and it's um, you know it's gonna it's gonna set you apart from your ordinary life somehow you literally for one reason or another cannot go on in that uh, business as usual way and uh and, and you can see it in people too it's it's so obvious in kids with your five children i'm sure mm -hmm. you see this all the time like how outrageous do they need to get to capture your attention mm -hmm. Very and, much. right and the training of of looking for the li looking for the little signs being being um you know, just allowing yourself to, to notice smaller signs. That's what's happened to me. I don't need to get knock them down sick anymore for the most part, although I, I did just have a flu. But, uh, you know, at the same time, everything's got more subtle. I'm, I'm really passing through the exact same things. I always was, but at, at more subtle levels at where I can catch messages early on and not mm -hmm. have to suffer as much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an ongoing work. I mean, I have shadow that i i see right there i know it's out there and i still don't want to deal with it i'm not ready to deal with it but i see it it's not so much um just seeing it and it will dissipate but it's actually again you have to go inward and ask the psyche or the soul well what do i do now or what archetypes and symbols might come and help me and that's where the work is the ritualistic work the therapy all that it, it's a slow process and then i don't know about it in your work but then there are things that you do have to watch out because even uh, Jung said later in his life, there, or later in his life, there's something called a dark archetype, which is completely ontological evil. If you face that in your life, and I'm sure people have seen somebody and they said, man, this person is genuinely evil. I feel something or this movement, or it could even be part of you. Then you have to completely exercise it, avoid it and all that. But I think most people, um, probably are not going to meet a dark archetype that usually happens with unless there's heavy trauma heavy addiction and something like that then you're what you're doing what you're dealing with is two things uh, a shadow that needs to be dealt with and perhaps a fragmented ego a wounded ego that needs healing through a, a psychic renewal or a spiritual renewal and uh with those things then uh, yeah it's simplistic but that's a good start and it's personal for everybody what works for me might not work for you, Beth, or might not work for another viewer. I mean, you mm -hmm. have to try different things and uh, until sometimes a combination of things until you can, until something really sticks. And you have to give it your own, uh, uh, you really have to believe in it. I, I'm a big uh, contender or supporter that uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, suspending your disbelief for a while, but give it a click. Like, uh, 
give yourself, I am going to completely give myself into yoga or this Hindu guru or this, uh, or jiu-jitsu or whatever it is. And I am going to be a zealot, but I'm only going to do it for two months and then click, I'm going to click myself back. And then I'm going to sort of see if things worked out. Is there a difference? Is my body looking better? And is my family saying nicer things about me? You know, what are the really things I can say that it's benefit? Am I making more money? And then go on. But yeah, give your give your soul and your heart to whatever movement, discipline, or whatever. Just make it temporal. I mean, I think uh, I always admire John Lennon. John Lennon, because uh, towards the end, well, in the '60s, '70s, he also had the same attitude. It's like. I'm going to join a movement until it becomes corrupt because all movements become corrupt. Uh, what's the saying? They all start as an ideal. They mm. turn into a business and then they degenerate into a racket. And then I'm just <laughs> going to jump out to the next one. And for me, that works really from the, the spiritual, from the political, from the business. I'm, I'm, I'm a nomad, probably because part of me is finally just realized I am a nomad and I'll always be an outcast. So I may as well just go to different oases and this desert of the real as i call them and see what i can get i mean that's isn't that the uh the sufi dictum life is a bridge to pass by not to build upon and i'm not perfect i, I want to build i mean i want to build and stay and not do anything <laughs> and be completely complacent and satisfied with what i have but at the end of the day that's not human nature that is not true human nature never was never will be oh, wow this is so big we might have to have several interviews. <laughs> There's a lot here. I had um, some good coffee before you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'd like to go back to a point that um, is on theme for this uh, interview, also on theme for the archetype quiz you did at my website when you got the king. And the paradox you talked about around servitude, and we've al already been talking about usefulness and purpose and that kind of thing. What's it like for you to be out in a leadership position right now? How, do, how does that land for you? How do you deal with various issues of uh, people following you and venerating you? Uh, that's a hard one. Again, I keep going back. If I'm uh, the master of my mind and not its servant, then it'll work out well. Because if my mind wants to think that I am king, that I am, as the Gnostics said, the the God of the Old Testament, there is no God but me and everybody shall bow down and worship me. That's, I think, the natural part of all egos that have been obviously gone through a lot of trauma, who are fragmented. Mine is still a work and cause. I mean, my half of my life has been battling addiction or battling a manic depression. The other half has been just, you know, getting the benefits of battling and, you know, winning today's round until the next round. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a simple one. I mean, first of all, uh, it's humility. It's understanding the temporality of things. Uh, things are great. They're awesome today. And uh, tomorrow they will change. I think uh, another thing too is uh, for the most part, to almost to the point of delusion, I don't ever talk about how I help people. And this happened when I was in AA years ago. And my sponsor said, Miguel, this is, what, this is your exercise. Whenever you do something good, you don't tell a soul. I mean, if you find a wallet and you turn it in, if you open a door for a lady, if you lend somebody hundred bucks, don't, don't tell me, don't tell your wife, don't tell it, keep it in. And man, that sucked because I wanted validation. I wanted my ego to be fed 
that's what I wanted, right? And I thought, if my ego's fed, I'll stay sober. What happened is I started feeling freer and better about it. I, I started feeling, yeah, a sense of freedom, like, it, like I, the, the act itself was what was energizing my psyche and shrinking my, my, my puffed up ego. And it worked well. So I just, honestly, I just try to keep my mouth shut in most of the things. As far in everyday leadership, I think for work, this is my brother. My brother, he's a senior vice president for a company, and he's been around for a long time with many companies. And he always said, uh, what's the old adage? Um, average, man average managers manage, good managers mentor. So instead of seeing myself as a leader, I try to see myself as a mentor to the people around me as possible. It's almost like um, you always, uh, success means that when you, if you were to leave your position temporarily or had to go on a trip or you had, you know, there was a, a medical emergency, you have to leave your work where nobody notices because those are under you pick up exactly where you are and they get the job done. And of course, well, and of course, you have a lot of insecure people say, well, that means I could get fired and they'll just move the next guy up. Yes, that is. But you will be very indispensable to the next company because it means you can take the next step up there. Because if you've made your staff so good that they can do your job, then you've really kicked out. I mean, you you're ready to move on probably as it is. You are a true leader. So I like to think of those things and as imperfectly as possible. I try to walk the walk. I mean, what else do they say to uh, the only way to uh, lead is to lead by example. There probably isn't another way. I got to walk the walk with my children, with other people. And it's not easy because uh, I mean, uh, there's a wonder about hypocrisy. There is a wonder <laughs> about hypocrisy because it's something we all share equally. I hate to say it. I mean, even the great saints will say we're fallen. We're going we're gonna to fall into that hole. We're going to trip on that same hole over and over again. We're all hypocrites. Uh, the Christians are right. We really are sinners. Uh, the Gnostics would say we are trapped through no fault of our own, but it doesn't matter. It's the same work as any mystic or saint has to do out there. Wow, beautiful. Um, what you're saying also makes sense in terms of how I've organized my archetype journey. And the, um, I'm not the only one to do this. It's, uh, it's, it's really embedded in the psyche this way that that king, it, you know, that, that seems like a logical end to the journey to reach this pinnacle of power and leadership and taking care of people. And, you know, hopefully all the benevolent stuff that you're describing right now, rather than the tyrannical stuff. But because the, the drug of power is so intoxicating, they really truly do need the next stage of the journey, which is alchemist to come in and, you know, advise that King and to hold that King accountable and to make sure like, why are you doing this to aggrandize yourself? Are you actually serving people? Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to um, have that value of social justice in the process so that once, because it's, it's like you said earlier, the movement, it starts with these incredible ideals then you can see, I'm watching somebody do it right now because I've, I've seen them, um, not from the very ground up, but yeah. you know, kind of climbing their way up. And then all of a sudden there's a sense of power and the whole tone changes. Like mm -hmm. just, you know, it, it becomes an a, almost abusive nature towards the audience and the audience is actually eating it up because they're in a spell with that leader. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, how do you avoid that? How do you, how do you stop yourself? 
oh, from man. going down that road. Call it's on the almost, alchemist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Alchemy, that's the thing about alchemy. It's uh, most of us have been diluted to think that if I just add a little bit better, things will get better. In alchemy, it's a complete transformation of the individual from the Negretto to the Rubetto and so forth. And that is a, that's, that's a very hard thing to do. I mean, I think it's, uh, with me, it's more of a, a slow burn is again, like you, it's this continual everyday embracing of this uh, work to understand my soul, to uh, have a dialogue with my psyche, to really get into the world of archetypes, into the unconscious, to talk to the gods and things do shift slowly. I think, you know, when you're there, when you can't remember that things have changed because you're such a different person, like I said, somebody might come up to you and say, you know, the work you did this year is far better or wow, who's this? I mean, have you had that one through? Who is this person that seems to act like Miguel, but it's not like me, the Miguel I know. And you're like, oh, wow, something has been replaced and I didn't even notice it. So, uh, and, but you have to reflect. I mean, there's nothing wrong with reflecting and sitting there and said, you know what? Things are better than a year ago. I'm the, am I more free than I was a year ago? And if the answer is yes, you can say, okay, pat yourself. It, maybe it doesn't mean you're richer. Maybe it doesn't mean you're even getting along better with people. But do you feel a sense of freedom? And the freedom is growth, at least in the Gnostic sense. So uh, I think those things are certainly very important. Mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful freedom is growth i love that i also say freedom is purpose mm. it's yeah, yeah. uh it's it's the cure that you know if you want to be uncontrollable if you're really sensitive to this world of uh, manipulating you and telling you what to do and making you a slave to me it's like turn it around and be a slave to your purpose answer to god and that's freedom Oh yes, yes. <clears throat> Again, we're going back to to the paradox. What are you, uh, what are you the servant of? So again, but uh, you have to be the master of your mind, and you have to know your mind. And sometimes it's just, sometimes you're just not going to fit. I mean, at uh, like my day job, I I've gone in there and I've said, look, this is a, a dying culture. I'll make some big uh, stormy, passionate argument, and I will back it up with data. And I will say, this is it. If we don't change our culture, it says this company will be out of business. And so if, this is what the statistics say. This is no, and for the culture in the 21st century, this has to happen. And the leadership will look at me and they'll look at this, the black and white. Okay, okay. Nothing will change. Nothing will change. And that's where the <laughs> frustration comes. And I'm like, well, maybe it's time either I accept it or I get out because there's no alchemical transformation. I mean, uh, even businesses are like human beings. They're almost this organic, uh, dysfunctional uh, mess that's, that does not want to look at its own unconscious and see its own shadows. But then that's what Jung said, right? There's a, a personal shadow, there's a, <clears throat> there's a collective shadow, and then there's a, even a cosmic shadow. So it, it prevails everywhere as above, so below. So even in business, when I look at it and I say, well, this guy is so dysfunctional, so toxic. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a macrocosm of me when I was drinking or when I'm not uh, in recovery, when I'm not practicing the principles of recovery and all that. So it's interesting how the whole universe is kind of like the mind of a God or a demented person, whatever you want to talk. About. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. That's great. Lots of room for uh, humor in the, in the situation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to go back to a point when you're talking about uh, giving and serving and how 
much magic there is to give without popping up and saying, oh, I did it. I, I get credit or mm-hmm. validated by that. It's and a, then, yeah, it's, a, it's a rush. It's a drug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Charity mm-hmm. is a drug. <laughs> You'll have to go check out. I actually asked that question of my audience the other day, and, and I asked it in a bit of an awkward way, but it still ended up a great discussion. Just that, you know, if you do take credit for helping somebody, does it nullify their help in some way? And I, I think I got 80 responses from people. Like it was quite a conversation about that. And um, people were pretty sure, I think, on the, on the whole, that no, it definitely doesn't nullify. But nonetheless, there's something um, that it takes away. Now, I even by the very end had the interesting, I don't, I'm not trying to blow your, your uh, high here, but I had the, <laughs> had, the, had the interesting thought that sometimes taking credit and, and business is the, is the reason I asked this as a business coach myself is that, you know, it, it's a big part of business is showing like, hey, here's how I help this person so that they can see, someone else could see that they might get helped in the same way. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's totally, it's not taking credit. I, I often say this, you know, I help someone, they say, oh, Beth, you saved my life. And I say, well, actually you did that part, but I was instrumental by helping, you know, being there at the right time, being uh-huh. a support, um, showing you a map, helping you stay accountable to journeying all of that kind of thing. How, how does that shift? Um, the one last thing, the, the conclusion I, I drew out of it that's possible too is that sometimes taking credit for doing something gives the other person the chance to be grateful. And that's not because it's going to make you any greater than you are. That can't be done. But it, the gratitude is a gift for them. Mm. Yeah, I think... I mean, I would say, yeah, we, we do these things because we're selfish. And I guess we, we really do want the rush of it. And I, it's not because it's good or bad. But I think once you understand that, that's when it dissipates. That's when it, it doesn't hold that much power. And you're talking about work. Yes. I think my great, what makes me feel whole or complete or more free is that if I mentor someone and I know they're going to mentor someone there for in another job in another position, that's satisfying because I am continue sort of, it's sort of an ancestry thing. I'm following my ancestors. I was mentored and hopefully this person will mentor and it will bring great benefits and joy and sort of, uh, again, the human race or the human narrative, I will be a small part of it. So, but, uh, when I get a rush out of it, then I have to say, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, being uh, selfish. And I do have to admit, sometimes I do get a sense of self-loathing when people compliment me at work or other places. I don't know why. I think, uh, I don't know if my ego really wants it. And there's a part that's still trying to fight my ego from getting too much. I don't know if uh, it could be a simple sense of uh, something like, a, I mean, for example, as an alcoholic or recovering, I know I have a low self Uh, esteem but that works for me because there is no me when there is no me there's energies flowing through but sometimes it can work against me because I feel this uh, any sort of positive feedback that I don't deserve it so it's a I mean we're always playing like you talk about the king the shadow king we're all we're all sort of bipolar and there's two sides of things the shadow side and the light side so you have to know when to play it but you have to be 100% honest about who you are your shortcomings, your strengths and everything. And then it doesn't matter because you are just you. You're not, uh, you're useful in certain ways to other people. You're great to other places and in other places you probably aren't very so much, but at least you're aware 
and you're closer to knowing your authentic self, the person who you are meant to be and who is still evolving and can reach so many great heights and who, how, and their purpose and their meaning and their usefulness to, to the universe in general and to their inner universes as well. Mm, that's lovely. <clears throat> I like your point also about the, it's almost the, the lineage of it when you help someone. And this is actually a huge theme in my work that I call these people the mermaids and the king heroes whose tendency is to really want to help other people. They see the freedom and magic in that. They, they get the high of it. I actually have a term for it, the nurturer's high. Mm. <laughs> and there's a very dark and a very light side to that too. So it's a, a, an ongoing navigation to see how you can give from a pure heart. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from those who give selfishly, but the, I, I've, I've just, the, the, you know, seeing myself from so many different angles, looking after people, because you think if you look after them, maybe one day they're going to look after you or, um, you know, helping people, what's in it for me, like in a, in a really, but severely unconscious way, because if you're self-aware in that, you won't be able to do what you're doing. The, the whole veil, you know, that you'll pull the curtain behind that uh, wizard in the, in the background and, uh, and, and not be able to do it. There's a hundred reasons why a nurturer will help someone. And, uh, and then to get to that point of clarity where you're actually offering your, you've got something to give with zero expectation of receiving it's, that's a very tall order. Yes, it is. And it feels good. Again, I think that as we're talking, uh, the reward is the freedom. You're lighter in your step. You're, you're, you're smiling secretly while you walk down the hallway. And you don't even know why you're smiling. Sometimes when I'm in the zone, I'll start giggling in the car and I'm like, why am I doing this? Oh, that's what my kids do. And they're in a state of uh, more self-actualization than I'll ever be. And uh, mm -hmm. that's exactly the great reward. Of course, and as we're talking, there is danger because you're talking about nurturing because uh, I think the dark side is you don't want to start becoming codependent where you are addicted to helping, you're addicted to people. And the more you, you can rationalize while you help, but you realize you're becoming less and less free. The person who you thought you were is becoming even more nebulous. I mean, you're getting farther away from your authentic self or a self-actualized self. And that's a, it's extremely destructive. I mean, I know drugs and alcohol, gambling, sex can destroy lives, but uh, being addicted to another person that can destroy, well, it doesn't even destroy you sort of dissipate into nothingness. And that's impossible, almost impossible to get back. People take decades to get back because they just become automatons. They become robots, sad little robots. So that is, there is, there is a danger. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why the self-awareness is so important to know yourself inside and out and have that uh, ultimate humility that comes of it that you mentioned. Um, because your subject is uh, Gnosticism, I know that the topic of evil has come up and I've heard various of your podcasts talking about this. And it was something that when I got into this whole world and I had the blinders, you know, I got, I got red pills and <laughs> the blinders came down and then you don't know, you don't know what's true anymore. And you're just like, Oh my God, what, you know, what's going on here? <clears throat> I've been lied and to it, all my life. Who's telling me, to, is anybody telling me the truth? <laughs> I know. I know. I, I watch people in, 
have that cognitive dissonance where they're just <clears throat> for the first time even barely considering a, a one lie, not even all the lies, just one <laughs> lie. And you can see this little vibration and they're, blah, 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 and they're like, no, yeah. no, it's not going there. Uh, maybe no, the government it. lies to me, but my party would never lie to me. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe religion, but my priest wouldn't lie to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have the good guru. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You're, you got the right stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I made eight trips to India and we were sure we had the one <laughs> the one good guru on earth who wasn't yeah, he, corrupt, who he wasn't a PayPal, pedophile. And he took mm -hmm. PayPal too, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He took all the money, he sure did. Yep. So what I would like to ask you about is the, you know, how do you overcome struggles when you hit walls in your life what's your way to the other side do you have mechanisms it sounds like you've got a whole bunch of things yeah and they, and they change all the time what worked mm -hmm. uh, again as somebody who's manic depression i learned early that you can be in a sort of med and that med only lasts for six months and i've talked to others in support groups and then i realized well shit, i'm just not going to take any more meds and uh, i found ways to uh, cope and you do even better without meds so, uh, and I take that kind of attitude in my spiritual life. Again, the Gnosticism is sort of a, a, a worldview. It keeps me on my toes because it's so edgy, so punk rock. It's so uncompromising. It's just, it's always, we go forward. It's anarchism. Let's deconstruct and destroy and then pick up the pieces and see what's out there and use the different pieces to maybe start something new. So uh, I always try uh, different things. Uh, I think the first one as we talk is, uh, yeah, be honest and self-aware. Why are you doing it? Uh, what is happening and what is really happening? And go into introspection. The other one, very simple, is you have to ask for help. Find a mentor, talk to somebody, talk to many people, you know, find a... Uh, Find out somebody who can offer insight because as we're both talking about it. We all have very bad blind spots because we've been programmed to have blind spots because we've all been programmed not to see the truth of reality. So it's important to ask for help. And that's one of the hardest as a, as a male. And I've just, I've interviewed other uh, recovering addicts who are men. It's like, yeah, asking for help is still so hard. We, we feel we are so weak even though the obvious elephant in the room is that we are so strong when we ask for uh, help. I mean, what makes us human beings other than other is our ability to lean on each other and help each other. That's what makes us our strongest as a species. But uh, that for me, that is a very hard one. And the other one is simply know that uh, there is a solution, as they say in AA, there is a solution. There's, a, there's the old adage that uh, if it's a problem, it can be solved. If it can't be solved, it's called reality. And reality <laughs> is fine. Reality is just fine with or without you. So just enjoy that reality. And that's, that's really helped me sort of uh, trusting myself to know that there is a solution. My mind has the powers and it ha it's built differently than other people, but it has benefits that can help me cope and deal with all these problems. And if I ask enough help, there will be other solutions. That's how this universe works. And the help doesn't have to be people. It can be higher beings, angels, spirits, and maybe they're projections of the great collective unconscious. Maybe they're independent. I don't care. They're, they help out a lot. So ancestors, I think we forget that we have 
hundreds of thousands of, of DNA information inside of us. And we have, uh, we have the wisdom of our ancestors. We can pray to them. And they've been through everything that unimaginable, horrors worse than we'll ever experience. So they can help us out one way or another. I love that. Yeah, our, our culture has forgotten that. And I would say that's by design. Most of our psychosis is by design where we don't, uh, we're cut off from our ancestors because new religions came about. Uh, they're not political correct anymore. Our ancestors, I mean, they, they find different, but isn't that what Orwell said? It said, one way we will get you is we will cut you off from your family and from your past. If we can do that, we can do anything we want to your mind. And trust me, our ego wants to do the same exact thing. It's not, you know, the deep state, it's our own ego because it's just following its purpose, which is to rule, to be mechanistic and to solve problems. Like I said, to create problems and solve them and move forward and consume what's out there. Just mm -hmm. is what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's an AI until you decide that you're the boss. Yeah, we are the <laughs> ultimate AI. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Interesting. We just have empathy. We have something that no uh, uh, robot can have. We have this empathy. We have this way we really believe in connecting intimately with other life forms mm -hmm. and helping them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. I love your point about asking for help. And that's something I think that can be counterintuitive as you develop yourself and you get stronger and you gain more skills. There can be the illusion that you should need less and less help. And it's actually the opposite. The, the more you raise your energy, the, the bigger you step into leadership, you need more and more support as you go. I just wrote the acknowledgements page for my book and it's a chapter, <laughs> stupid thing. <laughs> you know, it took such a big village to write this book. Wow. And uh, no, I'm pacing yesterday. It's like, okay, I need help and I don't know what kind of help I need and there's some, something, you know. Um, oh, I and, know, and you, I know. yeah, and there becomes less and less people that can help you. It's not, it's not just an ego thing. It's just there, you know, th that person has to have be farther on the path than you are also. Right. So you, you're, you're dealing with this diminishing, mm -hmm. um, kind of a, a pyramid. So you, the, there's so much stress on, on a leader. It's why I say that they really do need the perks, <laughs> right? Like that if, if wealth came with your role or, um, you know, just like you got to the front of the line and this, or you got backstage there or whatever it is that those perks really can just be some sugar coating for what otherwise can, can be, you know, people's projection on you. What happens when you get attacked, Miguel? I have to imagine that people attack you for, you're, you're putting out some pretty outrageous content. What's that like for you? Oh my God, they do attack me. I just realized, yeah, yeah, all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't bother me because I really try to, again, we're talking about empathy. I just realized they're at a place in their lives and their perspective and they're hitting my content at a certain time in their lives. So, and I don't want to judge them for that. I, I hope they're happy. I hope they found the spirituality or the path. I hope they're fulfilled. Uh, if their religion requires them to say these nasty things or to preach, then that's fine. I, I don't, I have nothing against it. So, and, and also I guess I have an advantage because uh, 
I don't know if this is arrogance, but 99% of people don't know what Gnosticism is and they can't debate it. They, they miss big points when they're criticizing it. And I know I can deal with them. And I just, I'm like, you don't know it. You just don't know it. And I'm not going to sit there and explain, listen to the podcast. When you, when you're ready, we'll talk, but uh, I'm not going to push back because again, father, they don't know what they're doing. So. Right. It doesn't right. bother yeah. me at all. It doesn't bother mm-hmm. me at all. So uh, wish them all well. And it's interesting you were talking about the help. There was this uh, member in AA, and I thought he always had the best formula. This was his own ritual. He said uh, to help him uh, cope, and he had a lot of sobriety. He said he would call five people every morning, and he'd call people that were also in AA or in recovery. And as soon as he answered, he said, my mind is fucked up. I need help. And he didn't care what the response was. The response was that he picked up the phone and he heard a voice on the, and then he called the next guy. My mind is fucked up. I need help. That was like his mantra. And he had a wonderful day. Once he got those five phone calls out of the way, he was ready to take on the world because he was in a self, in a state of self-honesty and actualization where he's like, okay, help. I'm, my mind's messed up. It's going to work out. Wow. Wow. Incredible. I love how the steps of AA, which are amazing, um, the groups themselves can be not so amazing. Uh, although I've never been, I, like, I, I um, only vicariously through my father and uh, a few other people in my life that have been through it. Do I know I've been connected with the 12 steps through Al-Anon more so, you know, mm-hmm. family of alcoholics and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I love my favorite part about it. My brother-in-law was reminding me how the last step is totally the hero's journey. The whole thing is the hero's journey, but the last step is so revealing how you turn around and, um, and help others mm-hmm. hold on to their recovery. Do you want to talk a little bit about that last step, the returning of the elixir? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think you go through the steps and then you're the the 12th step. God, I can't remember the top of my head right now. We might have to pull it up. Uh, Let's see, 11th, praying only for his knowledge and the power to carry it out. Uh, As a result of this, we're going to help other alcoholics. But you hit it on the head. That is the hero's journey because it's basically Luke or the guy who goes, he returns to the village. The difference is, is that he's no longer a youth. He's an adult. And he's going to do what adults do, take care of the family, take care of the elders, take care of the crops. It's really very simple. I mean, uh, what are you going to be to be an adult? You're a whole person. Well, we go back. You're going to be useful to the world. You've gone on this adventure, and that's what the, the steps are. You start out with sort of the admittance that you have a problem, that you've wrecked your life. You can't do it alone. You need a, You need to become sane. You need a spiritual life, and then you do the the fourth and fifth steps where you start writing down everybody that pissed you off, why they pissed you off. You start writing down who you hurt and all that. So you're basically, it's like a mystery religion. You're going deep down into your psyche, into the past, and you're going to face all those demons like the Gnostics and the mystery religions where they would go into these underworlds and meet Hades and then meet Hecate. And you're going to face your inner demons and you're just going to stare them in the face accept them, integrate them, and pray to the stellar gods that you rise up. And A is very much the same way, because at the end, again, you return to the surface of the world, you return to society, and now it's time to take care of your village. So it's the hero's journey just going over and over again. This one, 
this sort of esoteric spirituality is just focused on drugs and alcohol. Obviously, the mystery religions were focused on the fear of death. Uh, Gnosticism was focused on uh, sort of uh, understanding the false world and breaking through it. But they're more or less all the same. And, and all religions have it some way or another. The going down into Hades and going into the hero's journey and then returning home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like that you don't get to keep what you have, whatever you built up through that uh, phase of the king, for example. You don't get to keep it if you don't turn around and mentor others or help others get to where you got. So it's a, a beautiful loop that keeps you from stagnating and stopping and just resting on your laurels and going, okay, you know, I got it. Um, it's like the Buddhists say that, you know, until everybody has it, nobody has it. Oh, and and it. you, yeah, and you, you must keep working. You'll, you'll work to get your own life together. And then when you got your life together, you work to have other people get their life together. Exactly. I think that makes sense. It really is. I mean, that's how we built as humans. We are, Mm -hmm. This odd mix, this odd sort of pack animal that uh, needs everybody to thrive and have a place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. And even that isn't the end of the journey because that's going to perpetuate. What I, one of my discoveries with the hero's journey is that it's not just like, you know, linear start and finish and all the points in between. It's, it's a circle, but it's, it's more than a circle. It's a spiral. And that spiral is either raising energy, what you, what you said, like growing the soul, or it's unfortunately devolving, losing energy and uh, damning the soul. Although I've never said it exactly like that. It's possibly true anyway. Just terms. Words. Just terms. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> In AA, exactly. we say you're either working on your recovery or you're working on your relapse. It's the same mm, thing, damnation mm -hmm. or salvation. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow. One of the things I like to talk about on this podcast specifically is the masculine and feminine archetypes, because what I've seen over the course of my lifetime is uh, a diminishing of the masculine. Now, whether you can actually diminish an archetype or not, I don't, I don't think so. I don't even really consider them to be alive. They're just, they're just lenses that God shines through. So you can't diminish that, but what I've seen is the consistent takedown of men through the feminist movement. What's your take on the whole relationship of men and women and the more esoteric side of the archetypes? Um, yeah, I mean, again, we go back to 1984, if they can cut us off from the past, if they can cut us, cut off, cut us off from our nature. I mean, I don't see myself as either a feminist or a, I believe in balance, and I've made this pretty clear in my show. <clears throat> I think uh, even from a Jungian perspective, all men and women have an anima and an animus. We have female and male energies, and how much each one of us depends, but we have to honor these energies, and we have to balance these energies with inside of us so that we can become more whole. So going from one extreme to another is, is not a very good idea, I would say. At the same time, I do think uh, this culture has uh, done a terrible, well, it's been on purpose, has done a, a task of cutting us off from the divine feminine in history. I mean, that's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you can read books. The God Yahweh was once married to Asherah. The Holy Spirit was more seen as feminine. You've got the Gnostic Sophia that was prevalent in early Christian times. 
we kind of we we cut that off and that was bad but we don't want to go to the other extreme either where it's just uh the dark mother i mean there's even legends there, there's legends in mythology about lemuria where it was ruled so much by women that they did the same damage as the dudes did in atlantis it's like uh, like i uh, i don't know i say if people will get this joke but i said uh uh, chick rule is just as bad as Jack T. Chick rule. You don't want one extreme or another. You want a balanced society. And um, and it starts with each of us individual in our roles. I mean, I look at, uh, look at individuals like um, Queen Elizabeth II or Margaret Thatcher or Hillary Clinton or uh, uh, there, was the, 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 there was the Sarmatian uh, queen who kicked Cyrus the Great you know, the great Persian emperor who founded the Persian emperor, conquered the world. He went to this place to fight the Sarmatians. He got his ass kicked by the queen who beheaded the greatest ruler of this world. So what I'm saying is when you put women in charge, it doesn't mean the murder count's going to go down or the oppression or the invasions are going to stop. These women like Queen Elizabeth, Hillary, they, they've got a body count like no other. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, it, it's really something that has to be a personal thing. And it has to be a balanced thing. And again, as far as religion, we certainly need to uh, represent the divine feminine more in this culture. At the same time, we don't want to denigrate the male. I mean, if there's something I would say is missing in this world is we don't have initiation for men like we used to. And that's sadly lacking. We need more besides gangs or the army. We need more initiation avenues for men because initiation is again like it's this hero's journey that teaches you to be an adult and teaches you to be whole and they've sort of removed them or they've disappeared and that's causing a huge amount of uh, pain in the psyche of men in the west i mean people can talk about oh well we're making more money and it's more peaceful and i'm like yeah but alcoholism rates opioid rates suicide rates uh violent is that shooting up to the roof with uh, men of all colors and uh eventually it's going to happen to the women too their rates are going to start shooting up because it's we've gone completely unbalanced so i think we need to fix that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the, the big casualty i think is that men and women don't really work together um i was having a, a bit of a revelation um, again, a Facebook post where I just put it out that I, I'd seen, you know, very common rhetoric these days from feminists and they're talking about the need to smash the patriarch and, you know, that, that the patriarch is responsible for everything that's wrong on this earth. It's just like you said, if you, if you look at the actual body counts and um, it's, it's not that women are going to be a, a, a panacea leaders. They're vulnerable to all the same corruptions. Yeah, they're slave of, power. of the system. Yeah, slave of the machine, man mm -hmm. or woman, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, but the union of a man and a woman, that the union of the masculine and the feminine archetype, to me, is, is actually the genesis of the whole entire hero's journey. Because it's, it's when those two energies come together, it's not just about those two energies and the job is done. They birth. It, it becomes the child. Mm -hmm. that's what's, and, the, and that's what actually begins the whole entire journey of life. And that's what we're, that's what we're missing is, is that, that genesis moment. 
Yeah, well said. I'm sure somebody on Twitter or YouTube will be completely offended by what you said because that's yes. how the game is played now. It's like <laughs> we're not complete unless we're completely outraged or offended by whatever our puppeteers decide we'd be offended about. But yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. But that's it's been uh, complete. The social engineering has just gone way out of control. I mean, that's what that's how the Archons want us. They want us divide and conquer, don't have a dialogue. Uh, they want to reduce the world to good guys and bad guys. And it's never that mm. simple, no matter mm -hmm. where you go in history. It's mm -hmm. a lot more complicated. It's hu complex human beings making a lot of mistakes and doing the best that I can even today. So um, it's a hard fight today. I mean, I would say if you're a male and you're feeling out, then find yourself something, some initiatory group. Uh, again, jiu-jitsu, uh, karate, some religion, mm -hmm. something like that, and try to... Uh, try to get your head straight and try to slowly become an adult and don't, uh, yeah, it's not the patriarchy's fault or the matriarchy's fault. You're fine being a man as you are. You just need guidance. Like women need guidance when they grow up and you need to, we're talking about mentorship, uh, um, a system where you can listen to yourself. And most of all, you need a place where you can ask for help. So I think that's why in, in uh, places like Portugal and Norway, once they legalize drugs, all drugs, drug rates just shot down, drug violence shot down. Why is that? Because A, you demystify it. Once something's not taboo, young people tend to stay away from it. And best of all, once it's not a stigma, if you find yourself you're getting addicted to a drug or something like that, you can go and ask help and go get help at a clinic from your family and all that. And I think that's a uh, that's another good thing we could do. Maybe get, if we get, if we start legalizing the drugs, that'll save a lot of men's lives and women's mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. That's a, a very big topic of its own. The the hiding and the secrecy that mm -hmm. humans go through. Mm -hmm. That yeah keeps them totally trapped in shame and embarrassment. Um, it's it destroys families. Uh, I've got one family in mind right now that it's exactly. There are unfortunately some good reasons for hiding in secrecy. And at the same time, it is completely eroding that family. It is making them hollow. Mm. So yeah, it's really, it's really, uh, I, I would rather live in a world that just like, okay, everybody just let your shit hang out. And, and we're, you know, you might cry and weep about it and feel embarrassed, but you also can learn the tool of going right through and reclaiming the energy that you're using to be stuck in those places and it'll turn into gold in your life. I would agree. Yes. That prana that fuels the world, that fuels the human psyche. I think it's very important. So yeah, shame is not a good one. Shame is not a good one because that stops us from asking for help. And once you can get help early in the process and the addiction or whatever it is, then you can turn it down really fast. I unfortunately waited till decades into my life because it was a shame. I thought, oh my God, I'm a cokehead. Nobody's going to love me or mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. And it was, mm -hmm. uh, of course, d complete delusions in my head. But again, if we're not asking for help, if we're not having a dialogue, we start creating these fantasies, these stories in our head that are just far removed from reality and they help us cope for a while, but eventually they just crash down upon us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it requires so incredible amounts of energy to maintain all of that. A lie, and yeah. 
yeah. it's hard to keep up a lot. It's a full-time job. <laughs> it is. It is. And that's all your, your purposeful, useful energy that goes into that. So when you have a breakthrough and, and uh, recover that free energy, yeah. then it's going to work miracles in your life. Yes. Um, I'd love to talk just a little bit more about initiation because that is a huge subject and it is extremely lacking in our society, whether it's a, you know, a man going from a child to an adolescent or to an adult, um, you know, all of the, the different changes in our life have been hijacked one way or another. It, when I was rereading, researching for my for my book, I was rereading the hero's journey and I actually had, or not the hero's journey, the hero with a, a thousand faces. And I actually had to stop because it's so gory. I couldn't stand it. I remember going through it in my university days and I, and I had to really numb out not to, not to um, see the evil side of initiation, how it's been hijacked because there, there are ordeals that, a man could go through and it will transform them and it'll, it'll make them take responsibility and stand up and be, be the man they are. And then there is the trauma and the damage and the cutting and, you know, like there was so much cutting in that book. I couldn't take it. Yes. And yeah. And humans have this thing about human sacrifice sometimes. I don't know why we do it. We still do it. We're still sacrificing to Moloch. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's horrendous. And I just saw how there's this, deep standing in, in the guise of initiation, it's, it's been traumatizing men through, through the ages. Right, Women right. have been through their own traumas too. It's not, not to say one or the other, but mm-hmm. how, yeah. how, how to reclaim that, that true nature of initiation. Yeah. I mean, you can go back to, um, what's it? Uh, oh my God, I already forgot. The Spartans. I mean, they sort of, uh, developed the greatest fighting force in history one of the greatest i mean it took the romans all their energy to break this mini city of centuries that had defended and pushed back every form of violence because i guess they did it as a survival skill but one of them was we take the child away from the mother and that's an important one before we talk about initiation we have to watch out because our culture just works very hard to separate the mother from the time they were born to let's give let's it might the kid might be sick to school to once you take the child and the child feels completely uh, abandoned and betrayed subconsciously mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. the pain has been set in on that child it's probably never going to be forgotten yeah then you separate them even more when they're young and you put them through ordeals the spartans would be you know take them out to the wilderness have a fight a wolf for three days or yeah. And what you get is this soulless, mechanical soldier that will soldier. do anything you want. So uh, <clears throat> that's a problem with our society, especially with men, is taking them away from the mother and putting them in distress. I mean, obviously, we don't put our children outside for three nights in the cold, and you either survive or you don't. Now we put them in these prisons called schools, and we slowly beat them down without under, without understanding that every child's different and every every child has different emotional needs different skills that needs to be nurtured instead of this factory uh setting which again just creates more machines or at least dysfunctional more human beings so that's important right there so then we need a yeah like you said we need a, a forms of initiation um and it could be anything boy scouts uh kung fu uh there's a million ones when i was a teenager there was lots of there was our was it RTOC where 
people would learn about soldiers. There was the farm people. I mean, there was a lot of those, but those seem to be just uh, disappearing slowly. And we need more because our hearts are starving for initiations. And that's why people go to gangs and join the army and other things. So Exactly. They're starving for the initiations and they're starving for the attachments. Mm-hmm. That's something that I really learned in raising my son that, uh, you know, if, if, we don't have attachment between us. And that seemed, that seemed to be a bad thing, right? My, my parents, God bless them, are telling me, you know, put that kid down. He's becoming dependent on you. You're, you're going to you know, make him lifelong dependent. And, and my instinct was, no, I'm going to hold this kid. I'm going to nurse this kid. I'm going to serve this kid until he says he's good. Yeah, he knows better. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I don't know if I can take credit for this or not. Obviously, every soul is their own, but he became the most secure, independent kid I've ever seen. He like never wet the bed. He never cried when he got dropped off. Um, he doesn't have anxiety and call me in the middle of the night. Like incredibly secure oh, for all awesome. of that attachment that I gendered. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, it's the only way they're going to follow you if they're attached to you. Because you can't, you can't teach them, you can't guide them, especially through things they don't want to be guided through yeah, yeah, yeah. if they're not attached to you. So yeah. it's uh, fascinating that, you know, what is that soulful versus the vacuous that you're talking about that um, initiation would, would not make their soul evacuate, that it's mm-hmm. so traumatic, but it, but it would change their life and change their identity. Yeah, they disassociate. They're already disassociating with themselves and their nature. So it's, uh, yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but at least exactly. we have we're getting more and more knowledge. So, so things are, there are micro victories out there as we speak. Yeah, and that's the big thing to focus on because it's easy to leave people with despair. So, um, Miguel's work is an amazing place to go and start to. Uh, hear stories and see the successes and watch the growth alone of the truth movement to me is so exciting that more and more people every day I think every time you know it's hundredth monkey that the energy is raising it's giving people an opportunity to raise their energy easier than it would have been 15 years ago if you were starting to do this how do people access your work find you your books your podcast um, I would say go to the God above God.com. That's my homepage or you just, uh, Aeon bite Gnostic radio is one way to do it. And, uh, my site has the podcast, my books, my videos, all that. Again, it's mostly centered on Gnosticism. All that we talk about here obviously appears on my show because again, the Gnostics were proto Jungians or proto anarchists. They were the ones who stood up against the empire, the Roman empire, the, the, the Catholic empire in the, in the medieval times. Uh, sad to say they've gotten their asses kicked every time. They have not won one yet, but I guess uh, I'll, I'm going to give it my shot here in this uh, latest reincarnation. But yeah, all these themes are found in there because these are issues that the Gnostics were uh, contending with uh, 2,000 years ago. Who are we? What is our place in the universe? Uh, how do we take a journey inside to find our divine self? And what out there is really real and what's just a bunch of uh, code in the matrix? So yeah, the God above God is a good place to start. 
Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Good. Well, I highly recommend you go and visit his, uh, his sites and check into his work and all of these, uh, these beautiful recordings that are there. It's an incredible archive that you have. How many years have you done it now, Miguel? 13 years now. 13 years. Oh, insane. That's well, so it long. just It really just started as sort of a weekend warrior, put it out here for many years. It wasn't commercialized. It wasn't advertised. It was sort of my, again, my diary or growth as a seeker while understanding and showing the world about the Nas. Honestly, it's only been in the last two years that I made it, you might say, commercial. You know, that's when I decided, oh, maybe the world needs to see more of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining me. For those of you thank listening you. and watching today, I would like to invite you to visit my website as well to do either a King Hero archetype quiz or the Merpreneur version of the archetype quiz. They are the identical archetypes, but men and women go through it very differently. So I created two different assessments so you can relate to it. And you'll right away in seven to 10 minutes, find out where you are on the path of purpose. Not so much who you are. I have to guess that you are all of those archetypes. That's at the, the base of it. We are all of the positions on the hero's journey at the same time. Not, that's not to blow your mind. That's why I created the quiz to simplify your entry point. And uh, I'm also in the process of publishing my book called Journey, A Map of Archetypes to Find Lost Purpose in a sea of meaninglessness that's going to be happening in about five minutes. I'm uh, rushing to Yay. get that out. Yeah, I know. Pretty Yay. excited. Pretty excited and daunted at the same time that he's last. It, it, it's, it's totally a hero's journey. Yeah, well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm sure you're a much different person than when you started this book, right? Yeah, yeah. I just have to die once more, apparently. Once more, one more. <laughs> I take one for the team. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then it comes along with a free archetype study group where every two weeks we get together to discuss the archetype and raise the energy that it requires to step into those gifts that you have and the usefulness that you bring to this planet in the form of your purpose. So please do find this tab on my website, bethmartins.com, buy Beth's book, and uh, you can jump in right now. So thank you so much, Miguel. This has been a really fun conversation. I hope there are opportunities in the future for us to have more. Hope so too. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Bye for now. Takes a lot of love to be everything. It takes a lot of love.